thinking that my tablet's going to fall out of the sky and suddenly land here and just magically appear while I'm reading. So I'm just assuming that will happen. And if it doesn't, we have such an amazing tech team that sometimes goes to their head and then I'm going to have to bring them down a little bit. So I will indeed be reading from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4 and 5, starting at verse 23. I'll explain why I'm starting there in the message. So if you are uh, following along on the screen or elsewhere, let's listen and hear God's word. Matthew 4, I start at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oh, yeah, that's the end. That's a terrible ending. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. When you read off the screen, you can't tell when the paragraph ends, so there's no warning. No magic. Oh, is that it coming? No, they're just challenging me to make my sermon without a PowerPoint? Okay. Lucky for you, I do have some intro time. Um, this is my road sermon, which means I've preached this everywhere else already, and now you're going to get to hear a Mountain View version of it. Um, and one of the things I've noticed, so people often ask me what's it been like to be here for a year and a half and so on. I can summarize it this way. Everywhere I go, there is George, George Prince. I think, I don't even know I need to finish that. You all get that. I go for a walk on the Bruce Trail. There's George. I go for a bike ride in Beamsville. There's George. I go to Friendship Club. There's George. I go to Youth Group. There's George. I come to an elders meeting. There's George. I preach in Fruitland. There's George. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're just going to change the slides for me? That's what we're saying? I'll take your word for it. All right, next. I need those words on those screens. Okay, I can start with that. Am I allowed to stand here? Oh, yeah, and he's not there, so I better go back so people can see me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in big trouble. 
you shouldn't really mess with your tech team, right? Because they're really going to get me back, I see. All right, so assuming I'm on camera, oh, here he comes. <laughs> they're all talking to each other. We're making sure they're going to get together. Okay, so who is the title of this sermon? Because if we answer these questions, who wrote this, to whom, who is Jesus talking to, about whom, who are these blessed people, and to whom do we apply this today, we'll have a pretty good understanding what this passage is about. And I think, that was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. So um, I think what you'll notice is that even if you've grown up in the church and heard the Beatitudes and even know what a Beatitude is, you've heard that many times, when we answer these questions, we're going to get a little bit of a, a different twist on how this whole thing works. And I think that's a good thing. So who wrote this? This is the Gospel of Matthew, and I write up there, Matthew and the Mumser, and one of the things that I, one of the reasons I write that is to remind me to tell you that this material, like a lot of stuff I've been doing in the last year and a half, comes from Bema. And my Bema teacher taught me about the word Mumser, which basically means the outsider, right? So think about who Matthew was. He was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he was known as the tax collector, right? And tax collectors were outsiders. They were not presumed to be the kind of people that a rabbi like Jesus would invite to be on his inner circle team, right? And so knowing that, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, you're reading the story of Jesus in terms of somebody who was on the outside and knew it and heard everything Jesus said through those eyes and through that lens. And if you know that and read Matthew over again, you'll kind of notice he, he thinks about the mumser, the outsider, a lot. And then the Messiah's mothers, we did this, that's for the sake of the other churches where I preach this, we did a series here in, what's that season before Christmas? Advent. On the four, four of the women, um, we did only three of them, but in the genealogy of Jesus. So it's always struck me, and I'm sure I said that then, but I'll repeat it now. When you send somebody who's new to the Bible and you say, start in the New Testament, start reading the story of Jesus, and then they open to Matthew 1 and they start reading, this person was the mother of, father of this person, and this person was the father of this person. You're going, maybe that's not a great idea. And it made me wonder, what was Matthew doing? Why would you start with a genealogy? Well, he wasn't born in this century and living in, Western, in uh, the Western world in Ontario. So he thought completely differently. He thought this was a brilliant way to start. Because when he gives this genealogy, the reason anyone gives a genealogy is so that as you read it, you realize this person has pedigree. Right? You're all on Ancestor.com, right? You all know that you're royalty from way back and you've got that connection and you tell people about it. That's what a genealogy does. But then Matthew puts in four women, which was terribly untypical, right? And then the four women he picks, as we looked at, were Tamar, her story's almost X-rated, Ruth, who was an outsider, Rahab, who was an outsider, and Bathsheba, who's mentioned here, yep, there, Right? David was the father of Solomon, that's a normal genealogy, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. She doesn't even get her name up there because there's tension around that story, let us say. Right? So that's, that's who's writing the words that we read from Matthew, and that's the context. All right? So from there, this fun question, who makes up the headings and decides in chapter breaks? Because I started somewhere in chapter 4 where it says, Jesus heals the sick, 
But when you read the verses, it says, Jesus went out throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, which in my humble opinion should have been the title, and healing, and then he expresses the healing. This is, and the whole gospel is, the story of Jesus presenting the message of the kingdom of God. And so probably every heading should be Jesus presents the kingdom of God and all the different ways he does it. But also, of course, the, the chapter headings or the chapter numbers, we need those because when I say look up Matthew 4, 23, if you're looking in a book, you don't know where to find that unless there's those things. I can say, you know, but three pages into Matthew, that would have been difficult, right? But of course, when whoever put those numbers in did that, they didn't know all the sermons that were going to be preached on these passages. And so sometimes their lines of when they change chapters don't fit with what I think should have been more helpful. And in this case, I think it's more helpful to start where we did. Then who was there? Jesus is teaching, he's healing, he's preaching, he's presenting the kingdom of God, and news about him spread all over Syria, and large crowds from Galilee, so Jesus was from Galilee, that's on the left side on your map, the west side of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And then there's the Decapolis. So people from Galilee, that's where the Pharisees were, that's where the very religious Jews lived. And then the Decapolis, I'll do it your way, so if Galilee was over here, the Decapolis is way over here in the east, and Decapolis... If you know your, um, yeah, no, that's, that's the good word. It's a different one. And you're not going to know because it's not even cl close. Metric. Well, that was horrible. If you know your metric, <laughs> deca means 10. It also does come from Greek. And polis means city. There's 10 cities. There are 10 Greek cities. There's 10 cities built by the Romans and the Greeks for the very purpose of putting their culture there, and so they are filled with their culture. They are about as opposite from Galilee as you can get, right? Now, when we were in Israel um, and Jordan, these are actually what's now called Jordan, we went to one of these cities, and there's these amazing columns standing there. And I just always vividly remember our guide took a, a fork or a spoon, and there's just this column standing all by itself because the rest of the stuff had fallen down, and there's there's... A section and then there's a crack and then there's a section and then there's a crack and he put the fork in between in one of the cracks and then he pushed on the thing it's gonna fall but the, he did that because the spoon or fork just started vibrating these things were so amazingly built that you're looking at it going how in the world did they even get that up there and how's it still standing and how can it have that kind of technology in it that when you push on it, it doesn't even tip over? These were amazing cities celebrating the Hellenistic and Roman world, right? A completely different culture than Galilee. And then Jerusalem, which is where the Sadducees were, which were the, the religious leaders, they'd actually sold themselves out to Hellenism. They actually were, they're the ones who actually crucified Jesus in the end. These are the ones who had kind of said, however we can get power, we're going to hang on to that. They're the corrupted priests, if you will. And then Judea, which is the south, the, uh, the desert-like area um, where, for example, David wandered with his sheep when he was still a shepherd boy, and then the region across the Jordan, which would have been Moab and, and those kind of areas. So these are people from all these different places. Most of them were, were likely Jewish, um, but there's people from all kinds of different cultures gathered and following Jesus, right? Jesus attracted people from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different modes of thoughts, and I think that's important to hang on to. That's who was there than this. But who is Jesus talking to? You're thinking, Eric, you just told us. There's all these people there, and he's talking to them. No, read the text. 
When Jesus saw the crowds, the people I just talked about, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. That seems odd. So there's all these people here, and I go up here. What if he did this? What if he sat down this way? It's possible. Because he was talking to who? His disciples came to him, 12, maybe a few more, and he began to teach them. So often when I do weddings, I'll have the, fa- the couple stand up here in the wedding party, and I'll do the message this way, because oh, really I'm talking to the couple. You can hear me because of technology. But Jesus was doing that same sort of thing. He talked to these people, and a little while later in the service, we're going to bring people up here. They're not my disciples. They're the council of this church, let's be clear. But this week, we're going to gather all those people in a meeting where we're going to orient them. And I think that's a pretty good analogy for what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's orienting his disciples to what's going on. So, in that context, Jesus talking to his disciples with this huge crowd of people from all over that area behind him, what does he say? He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comforted. But who is he talking to? And about who? Blessed are those... So again, imagine Jesus actually sat down in this direction. His disciples are over there. He would say, blessed are those. Blessed are all those people out there. Because the disciples, they were all Galileans, right? And like most people from a region, they think their region is just a little bit better than the region beside them or around them. We do that too. We all know Niagara's the best, right? Can I get an amen on that? Just kidding. (laughs) So as he's talking... He's telling his disciples about the realities of the people that they might think are a little bit less than them and are definitely different from them and maybe that they had written off, depending on which group you mean. And this is what he says. I want to go through the Beatitudes in a particular form. So here's the first and the last ones. Notice what goes on here. First Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you notice? Shout it out. You had too many people shout at the same time. Nice. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven is repeated. Is that, do you think, because Jesus couldn't come up with a different one? Because all the other ones are different. No is the answer. Thank you. Jesus probably could have come up with 50 different taglines to go with these. Why does the first one and the last one have the same tagline? My guess, based on what I've learned, is that that's a hint. That's a sign. If the first and the last go together, then maybe the second and the second last go together, the third and the third last go together, and you're going to get a real zinger right in the middle that you need to hang on to. That's kind of the interpretive key, right? Now, I say that with a lot of authority, but about two years ago, I also preached on the Beatitudes, and then I said that they actually go in order and they build on each other. And I said it with just as much authority. So this is one of those things where you decide how it goes, right? It works either way. It helps you either way. Either way, all eight Beatitudes are really good. But at this stage of my life, I happen to think this interpretation gives us the best understanding. There you go. How often do you get to choose if you like something in a sermon like that, eh? The answer is every week. You always get to choose. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I want to suggest to you that these two have in common, those poor in spirit 
and those persecuted is that they know they got a problem. They know they're struggling. If you're poor in spirit, if you're depressed, if you're down, if you're struggling, if, if, you're, if you're spiritually confused, you're probably aware of that, right? You're aware that, that I need something here. And if you're persecuted, that's an external version of, of a problem, right? And if you're persecuted, you probably know I've got a problem here. There's something that needs to be changed. So that's, that's kind of the, the first realm that Jesus talks to us about. And then the second and the second last, these are the people I would say who are in turmoil. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? You're a peacemaker because there's a lack of peace, because you see there's tension here, and we've got to bring that together. You're mourning because you've lost some, someone or something, right? And so you recognize, again, there's, there's turmoil in my life. I think that's the connection between those two. And then the beautiful, gentle souls. Blessed are the meek. Our culture doesn't really love meekness. We actually lean towards pride, to be honest. But meekness is truly best understood um, when it's taught in the Bible. Meekness, humility, is about having such a good sense of who you are in Christ that you don't need to trumpet yourself. Pride is, I need to trumpet myself because I'm not sure anybody else is going to do it for me. Meekness or humility is going... God's got me. He's got this. I can just rest in who I am, strengths and weaknesses included, because God's got me. That is a pure, beautiful, gentle soul of a meek person. And the pure in heart, right? It's right in there in those words. Your heart beats for the right things. Your passion is for the things that are good and true and right in this world, and it's obvious to people, right? So that's, the, that's that collection of folks. And then the heart of the matter. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, it seems really clear to me that in the Sermon on the Mount especially, which is which the Beatitudes start, in these three chapters where Jesus gives this, this message, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a key theme. He talks about the law and how do, we, how do we get right with God. He talks about really how do we have our hearts changed so they beat after God. Right? He talks always with the Pharisees in his, in his ministry, Jesus does. And when he's talking with the Pharisees, he recognizes that they are really good people who do really good things, but they do it in their own energy, in their own effort. And so Jesus twists it a bit here. This is a bit of a, a shot at them, if you will. He says, it's, blessed are those who are actually desiring, hungering, thirsting for that righteousness. They, they know they don't have it yet, but they're still longing and yearning to get their life a little more in the direction of what is true and good and right. And then, how do you get there? That's the merciful part. You see, religion, as Jesus bumped into it in his world, was about do more, try harder, and you'll get there. At least show that you're doing the right things and you'll be blessed. And Jesus says, no, it's when you're hungry and thirsting and when you find it by receiving mercy and being merciful. So in chapter 6, to illustrate this, in chapter 6, I probably don't need a chair if I'm never going to sit on it, right? In chapter 6, Jesus is going to teach the Lord's Prayer. Here's a fun Sunday school question. Who wrote the Lord's Prayer? The Lord, you'd think so. I know. Uh, thank you for doing that because it's the wrong answer and we needed somebody to say that to make the point. 
Jesus actually inherited the Lord's Prayer. But being Jesus, an authoritative rabbi, he added a line. And forgive us our sins, debt, trespasses, when we forgive those who sin, have debts or trespasses against us. That was his addition. And you can tell that because after he says that prayer, that's the part he explains. It's like he's saying, that's why I put that in. It's really important. And right here in the middle of the Beatitudes, after he says, you're blessed if you're hungering, if you're desiring to grow, you're blessed. And you get there by mercy, forgiveness. You learn to be forgiven and to accept that, and you grow in your ability to forgive other people. And if you want to summarize what Jesus was all about, he was telling people, everybody's got messy stuff going on. Blessed are you if you're desiring to move forward, and if you know that the way forward is through grace, is through forgiveness, is through mercy, is through a gentle spirit with other people that brings healing in relationships. That's what we, the followers of Christ, are all about. So, remember, this is how this is going. Jesus is talking to his disciples pointing to the people behind him or implying about the people behind him. Blessed are those messy people because they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? This is a mission line, if you will, because Jesus is really saying to us, you know that there's lots of people out there who aren't already part of this deal we call church who are actually hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They want something right in their life. And the best way for them to find it is through understanding forgiveness and mercy. And that happens to be our message but then this line so remember the eighth beatitude was blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness sake for there's the kingdom of heaven now he says blessed are you when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me again jesus talking to his disciples is now saying not blessed are those he's saying blessed are you my disciples because if you actually live out the beatitudes if you actually see as blessed the same people that Jesus sees blessed, it's probably going to make it messy for you in this world. Right? Our world likes division. We like political lines. We like to know which group everybody's in. But if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and if you're a person who doesn't hang on to your anger about what someone else has done wrong against you, but rather is a person who's merciful and humble and pure in spirit and meek and forgiving, people are actually going to write you off and they're going to push you to the side. This beautiful way of truth, the gospel way, will probably get you in trouble in this world. And Jesus just wants to tell his disciples, hang on to that thought. If you are a gentle, loving person who wants to embrace everybody of every kind, thought, method, background, etc., you're probably going to get in trouble for that. If you think a little bit hard, you can probably think of situations within the church, within our broader world, where that applies. So, to whom does this apply today, this whole beatitude thing? Because Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, I gotta, we're going to have a choir come up here in a minute, and i got to give them credit because, sorry, lighting people and so on, I'm moving a lot. Um, you know I'm not really sorry about that. Um, the choir was here, and Ruthann was directing them, and they finished the song that says, something about being in heaven. And you're going to hear it in a minute, then you'll know the exact words. So I asked them, what do you mean when you say in heaven? 
I'm going to have to throw Harry Carter in the bus because he knew what to do. He looked down, didn't make eye contact. That means that I can't see him either, right? So that he won't have to answer the question. But the answer given was bang on. It's not what we get after life. Your reward in heaven is a reward that Jesus right now, who's living in heaven, in that dimension, in that world, gives you as you live this out right now and right here. So I'm not saying there isn't something after life. I'm saying when Jesus is telling you to live out the Beatitudes, he's not saying do that so you'll earn a reward later. He's saying do that because your reward is great in heaven right now because what Jesus came to do was bring the kingdom, and the kingdom is right now. Every time we live beatitudinally, not sure that's a word, every time you live by grace and forgiveness and healing, you are enacting and living out the kingdom that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. This applies to all of us. So. Huh. I have a really cool picture on my screen. Can you all see that? You should sit closer to the front. Anyone know what that is? It's the hate has no home here sign. We did a sermon with that, so some of you will remember it. And I remember saying when I first saw it, why didn't the church come up with this? Thank you. Why didn't the church come up with this? Right? Because we are people of forgiveness and healing and reconciliation, right? Even when we disagree with people, even if they are of a different religion and a different position on a whole bunch of things, we are people of reconciliation and unity, and we need to embrace each other and understand each other and learn from each other, right? Um, my adult children disagree with me about some things, and as much as I hate to admit it, I have to learn from them. Because even though I taught them and I sent them to the schools that they went to and so on, they see the world sometimes in a way where I go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's probably true. I need to think about that. So even, and then even somebody, so the signs are, that's the, the rainbow. Those are the religions, right? Every child matters is indigenous peoples. Those are your um, disability signs, right? And, and racism around um, black people starting with the whole George Floyd thing or continuing with the whole George, George Floyd thing, right? All really painful, difficult topics in our world about which we're going to have differences of opinion. But if we're Jesus followers and we want to be part of these folks and talking about those folks over there, we need to know that the way we bring blessing in this world is through mercy, is through mercy and healing and listening, and love, and forgiveness. Doesn't mean everything goes, doesn't mean we don't have opinions, doesn't mean we don't have positions, doesn't mean we don't love Jesus and listen to him, but listen to him about what he said at the very core of his message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor, all your Decapolis, Galilee, Judea, Syrian neighbors, as yourself. He didn't say love the people exactly like you as yourself. He said love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but I want my neighbors to be okay with me. I don't need them to agree with me all the time, but I want to know that they're okay with me, that I'm accepted and embraced and loved. And you know how you bring people to Jesus? You love them, because that's what he did. And then you show them that you know how to forgive, that you know how to be merciful, because he showed you how to be merciful, and you're as merciful as you can be on other people. And I know this is hard, 
But that's our project, because Jesus gave it to us. Blessed are those, whoever those are. And blessed are you, though you'll be challenged, persecuted, you'll struggle if you live this out as fully as you can. May God bless you as you step out in faith and do just that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for bringing the kingdom. Thank you for representing heaven on earth in all that you said and did. And we pray that as we continue to receive you into our lives, that you will continue to inspire us to be as loving, as hungry for righteousness, and as merciful as you are. Bless us by your spirit and lead us on the way, we pray. Amen.